Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Hello, everybody, and welcome to MotorWeek podcast number 165. And around our Keystone shaped table in MotorWeek headquarters, Studio C, is our road test producer, Ben Davis. Hello. Our online content coordinator, Greg Carlos. Hello. Who I'm apt to say also is one of our chief testers. Our over-the-edge reporter, Zach Maskell. Hey. Who basically, if it's a performance car, Zach is in it. And our video producer, editor, and historian, I have to tell you, is Joe Ligo. Hi. And Joe is producing uh, and... um, Producing the podcast, so if anything's wrong, blame me. That's right. If it comes out of our mouths and it's wrong, it's Joe's fault. Okay, we've got a trio of vehicles to take a look at. We're going to talk, uh, we'll have a lightning round, a viewer question, see if anybody's got a rant and rave. But let's start off with a car that Zach is, uh, I saw at the auto shows, but Zach is the only one that has experienced it. The 2000 Porsche Panamera Sport Turismo. Let me set the stage. A new, uh, all-new Porsche Panamera second gen came out uh, almost a year ago, but it was delayed coming into the U.S. because of some of the VW emission problems. Porsche is part of VW. And uh, even before the first regular Panamera got on sale in the U.S., um, Porsche was already showing offshoots of it, and one of them was the Sport Turismo. What is the Sport Turismo, Zach? Why is it so different? It is a Panamera wagon. Ah, uh, you wouldn't a, think those words could go together. It can. Porsche probably wouldn't want you to say wagon. Or shooting you know, like brake. Shooting brake. Yeah. lifestyle and activity vehicle or some sure, you know, marketing. If you will. But I think, I think shooting brake fits it perfectly. Like yeah. Whenever I hear shooting brake, I would picture this type of look. You know what I mean? I think they did a fantastic job with this car. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, they are still going to be selling just the sedan, but uh, we'll have four of the Sport Turismos coming to the States. And the blue one, I forget the exact name of the color. I couldn't stop staring at it on the press trip. It was just so, so good looking. The last Panamera, I wasn't a fan. I thought they were cool. I said, hey, look at all these engine choices, yada, yada. But I was like, eh, I don't know that I would ever buy one. But this thing in person is just spectacular. It is a beautiful vehicle. I mean, uh, they've added, you can now get actually a third seat belt in, in the back. And I think it has a little bit more headroom and more cargo room. But it does. it's really about style. I mean, Let's face it, the original Panamera and even the second gen, it's still a hatchback, even, call it, even though we all call it a sedan. Uh, but this is something different, and it's better. It can fit. I don't exactly remember the exact dimensions, but it can fit like a book bag's worth of extra space in the back. Yeah, it's like seven-tenths of a cubic foot. Yeah, it's not a you lot. can throw five people in there, but the person in the center, you know, there's like a nice center stack coming up, so that's going to be in the way. You know, it'll be great for a kid or whatnot, but... You know, if I'm trying to travel across the country, I'm not driving around in a 911 or mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean, this thing would just be fantastic for that. Uh, we did drive the Turbo SE Hybrid on the track, and uh, that thing is 680 horsepower. The V8 alone is 550, the electric engine uh, adding the rest. That thing was – it's awesome, but it's still a heavy car, you mm-hmm. know, and the track was very dynamic. Uh, I'd much rather have, you know, a Cayman on the track, but it could it could really handle its business around there, but it, it's a lot more comfortable on the street. Fantastic cruiser, uh typical Porsche suspension, you know, it's 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 
soft or whatnot, but you still feel the road. So it's still an enjoyable sports car. I mean, this is like the definition of basically a luxury sports car, almost supercar. It's interesting that when the Panamera came out, you know, it actually shares its base mechanicals with the Cayenne SUV. Which is, you know, right off the bat, it was the largest Porsche that had been built at that time. And I'm not sure if it may still be. Um, but over the years that it was out, they refined it to the point that it and the Cayenne, when you read our descriptions of how they handle, it's not a lot different than a 911. You know, it's heavier, yeah, but otherwise as far as attitude on the track and so forth is pretty amazing they stole a lot of the styling cues from the 911 for this uh for the new generation panamera and we thank many people for that the sport turismo still has a spoiler a retractable spoiler it does yes yeah it's up top i think on that one it's up top and then on the sedan um it comes out it's really cool the way it kind of like splits open and then comes out, and then I think on the the wagon one, it just kind of pops open. Hmm. I've Zach and I have dominated this conversation. Any comments from anybody else? Have you seen pictures of it to the point you have a, I, have I a agree with impression? The, the paint comments. I'm you know, and I'm sure Porsche's finishes are impeccable. But just looking at the footage that you brought back from the trip, you're right. That blue is, the is blue unreal. Is, oh god! And it's then so the other thing was I was researching it for for the the rundown in the podcast i mean how many engine options does it have there's it's just like a there's two what two v6s and then the hybrid and then a v8 and then six i think we have six so i mean i'm assuming you didn't have a chance to drive every single one during your trip no i didn't but but what what uh what'd you think about the hybrid because they've had that for the last gen had you could still tell it's a hybrid you know regen braking um just kind of the way that uh it accelerates i mean you know you're in a hybrid you know you wouldn't have to tell me as soon as i get in i know it um it's just got that typical feel but it's you know when you're cruising on the highway and everything else it it feels as it should you know and you could give it the business a little bit anybody else all right moving on thanks very much zach 2018 ford f-150 raptor Mm -hmm. uh what can you say about the second-gen Raptor? It's not exactly more of the first generation. It's a little different. It's a lot different, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, V8's gone, so now you have the EcoBoost 3.5 with 10 yeah. speeds. Which is an engine shared with the, the Ford GT. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. I mean, you're talking 510 pounds of torque. I personally had it on back roads. And the paddle shifters are so huge, and the suspension is so rolly soft, and it felt like a trophy truck going through these back roads that I grew up on. I'm just, like, cracking through the paddles. I mean, it was a sports car to me. It's pretty amazing. Off-road sports car is probably about the best, a very good way Closest to describe Closest to it. a Dakar 959 that I'll ever get. Yeah. That's what I was picturing in my mind yeah. the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a much more sophisticated effort than the first uh, Raptor was. I mean, I found the ride to be amazingly compliant and easy to live with on a day-to-day. I was expecting uh, – even the first one was not as rough as I thought it would be. But – I mean, once you've climbed up into it, you're in such a you're almost in a, a monster truck type um, atmosphere. But it, it just like handles that. so well. It does. It's yeah. fun to drive. It's amazing because I never thought the old Raptor designed to look old, mm-hmm. but when you park them next to each other, it really makes the previous gen Raptor look ancient. It does. Really? It does. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of people looked at the look at the new one and think it's not wild enough. 
uh, I think the Ford's sensing they've got a bigger market for it. Uh, and maybe that's why they've done it. It, it, I, it I think, still looks plenty aggressive. Though, I no think doubt. maybe Ford's a little surprised how big the market for the first Raptor oh, was. Oh, absolutely. I think absolutely. they're like really happy about that. So I think you're right. Maybe they made it a little more conservative and figured what the aftermarket can supply all the wild goodies you would need to make mm-hmm. it look unique. They can't right? keep these things in dealerships. Yeah. You know, as, as soon as they come in, somebody has already bought it, and it's it's off the lot. And that's with a sixty-five some thousand dollar base price. Right, yeah, the uh, MSRP is forty nine seven eighty five, but I'm sure that you're not seeing one at a dealer for that. I'm sure that they're all optioned up, and you know there might even be some markup on there. If Zach's right, if they, you know, if they're if they're not keeping them in the lots, I'm sure that dealers don't mind making a little extra here and there on them. I'm sure. They Greg, don't. any comment? You've been very uh, quiet. Uh, yeah, I have. I was just enjoying listening to you guys talk. Um, I talked to a lot of people about it, and there's certainly mixed feelings. And I understand the people who miss the V8 because there's just something about a V8 in a truck. And uh, I uh, I think that the, the twin turbo V6 is extremely strong. And once you drive it, you'll see that eh, maybe I don't need a V8. But it doesn't sound as good as the previous Raptor. Now, I've heard Raptors. I've never driven the previous Raptor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understand that you might – I mean, there's a, lot, a lot of people like to hear their car or their truck, and you don't get that same brutish, beefy sound that you were getting from the previous Raptor. So if people are going to complain, I'll say I definitely understand it. But it's you not gotta, a V8 sound. No, absolutely no. not. Um, you hear a lot of turbo noise, which is, again, it's, it's, it's preference. Um, but it's definitely an incredible truck, and it's impressive. And like Ben said with those paddle shifters – you don't see that in a, a big pickup truck very often, and it's surprisingly um, satisfying to use those paddle yeah. shifters. Yeah, especially when you have all your sport settings turned on, and it really makes really smart work of the 10-speed which is a hell of a lot of gears. Crazy burnouts, too, as we found out. <laughs> now to move on to something at the other end of the automotive spectrum, our 2018 Hyundai Ionic Hybrid. This yes, is very uh, different. Go take it away, Joe, since you said it first. Uh, well, very different. This is basically <laughs> a, huge a change dedi- from the Raptor. I mean, well, that's what it's I a was dedicated. Saying, but... It's like the Prius in that it's built on a dedicated hybrid chassis. Right, and it's similar to Honda's Clarity strategy in that they're making one platform with three different powertrains. Now, there's no hydrogen version, but the idea here is that there's a plug-in hybrid, which isn't out yet. There's a full EV, which is only available in California, and its range is only about 120 miles or something. And then the one we had is the regular hybrid, just like your you know garden variety Prius kind of thing. It has a 1.6-liter four-cylinder, 139 horsepower combined. Uh, although it's not a CVT, it's a, it's it's a, a real dual clutch. Yeah, it's a six-speed dual clutch. Uh, transmission what blew me away was the epa numbers are high 50s it's like 50 for the blue trim level which is like their extra extra eco version it's i think it's 57 Does city 59 a standard it's close Prius. if it if it doesn't beat it, it it's pretty it, close but, uh, i've forgotten exactly there is one model i think that might ache out uh, a win there but i think it's also worth noting that this is the hyundai's version of the um, kia nero Right, which yeah, actually so, launched first. Right, the Nero launched first, and it's more of a crossovery type thing. 
They made uh, it square. That's really what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's it, yeah. It's about as much of a crossover as I am. So. Right. Yeah. So it's it's <laughs> not the Nero is marketed. The, <laughs> the Nero is marketed as a crossover, but it's pretty much just a, a tall hybrid, and this is a short hybrid. And, this looks uh, more like the Prius. Right, profile. it has that, that mm. teardrop right. kind of shape and the weird kind of hatch that doesn't taper off as much. But I, yeah. it, uh, I don't know, I didn't get the chance to really spend some quality time with it. So what about those it's very smooth. you did? Yeah, I actually liked yeah, it more than the Nero. And I think that it's, I mean, it probably won't happen quickly, but I think it could actually put some pressure on a Prius because I personally felt more comfortable in the Ionic than I do in any Prius. I don't. I don't really like the way a Prius makes me feel like I'm in a hybrid. I don't mm. like the ergonomics of a Prius. And I don't really like the way a Prius looks right now. I the Ionic kind of fixes all those problems. They it's have a better what, infotainment the system. The kind of thing? Or yeah, exactly. I feel well, like I'm in... But they, they didn't go crazy with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, right. It's, it's high-tech without being... High tech for high tech's sake. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I thought the the system was great. I mean, it was. I agree with you. I actually thought it w- reacted smoother, especially the transitions between uh, gas and electric were actually smoother than in the Nero. Which you know, the powertrain's the same, so maybe that yeah. says something about the vehicles we got. But I found it very, very pleasant to drive and. I guess you could criticize it because it doesn't look weird enough. Neither does the Nero, for that matter. But I thought it was extraordinarily pleasant. One thing about the Nero I noticed is when it was in cruise control, it sometimes got a little flustered. Like you'd hear the engine come on and then go back off real quick. And it did some bizarre stuff on the highway. Um, But – other than that, you know, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's not a mechanical issue. I'm sure it's a computer issue, and, and so I'm sure that'll get taken care of pretty quickly. I really love the fact it's got a real transmission, though. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah, that is that was big. Mm-hmm. I real quick, I agree with mm-hmm. everything that Greg said. Man, that that car is just so much. I prefer to drive that any day over a Prius. There's, it doesn't make me drive weird. It doesn't make me do funny things that I don't normally do on the road. Unlike in the Prius. So, and, uh, and is this the Prius's first like real direct competitor? Because the Insight from Honda was never quite direct, and the C-Max from Ford was never kind of the well, same thing. Well, I'm not thing. so sure you can say that. There's been plenty of uh, – I mean, what are you talking about, the regular hybrid or the plug-in hybrid? There's plenty of hybrid cars out there that maybe they don't get – they might be bigger or smaller or whatever, but I'm not so sure they've not had a direct competitor. But they haven't sold as well. They haven't, right, eat, they sure. haven't put a dent. Yeah, I guess that's I what mean, I'm getting. Is this going to be the one that, you know, become, you know, Prius is to hybrid what Kleenex is to tissue? I mean, when you, it's the mm-hmm. first thing you think of. I don't think that's going to change, but I think it's going to give people a second choice. Mm. You know, it's going to be probably more. If we know one thing about Hyundai and Kia, they don't walk away from a segment. So yeah. while other manufacturers, some of them have dropped their hybrids because they didn't sell very well, I think these folks will be, stay at it for the long haul. And they'll push the technology and lower the price. Yeah, really, the the sticker for that is, is very competitive. It's low 20s for to get into the segment, so... Uh, rather than a new car, the next thing I want to uh, 
get your impressions on very quickly is a new track. We've been fortunate enough to, uh, over the years, try a number of uh, racetracks up and down the East Coast where we can do our testing with our main one in the summertime, in the wintertime being Roebling Road outside of Savannah, Georgia, and we use Summit Point in West Virginia quite a bit. But we were invited down to use a new, a, a new track, I think is the right way of calling it, Dominion Raceway. Uh, just south of Fredericksburg, uh, Virginia, on, right on I-95. And um, the folks down there were kind enough to uh, make it, let us make arrangements to actually do some car testing there. But Zach kind of went further than that. He actually went down and greeted a lot of, uh, shall we say, non-professional car enthusiasts, just people who love their cars, and they use Dominion as a place to get together frequently and have fun. So tell us about it. Driver's Club. It's Awesome. I mean, I knew they existed, but I didn't really, you know, know how many people were doing them. They've gotten a lot more popular here recently, but it's basically you just pay a yearly fee, and these guys are, you know, going, um, you know, one day or it's it's forty. Was there fifty two weeks in a year? So they're getting almost um, one day of track time. Uh, a week, which is like crazy to me. I yeah, mean, that is. You know, it's track some, day, bro, and it's run, run what you brung. And this run, is a two mile road course, folks. This is not some yeah, parking lot. No, and and they're getting speed on that straight, and they're mashing the brakes. So I can only imagine how much some of these guys are paying for brakes and stuff like that. <laughs> and tires. Yeah, um, a, yeah, a bunch of the guys said, you know, we almost never make it through an entire day because there's limited amounts of people. And, um, you know, if they want instruction, then they could go out with the instructors or they can just go out there and do their own thing. And, you know, a lot of the guys just said, you know, we almost never make it through a whole day because we're just exhausted. You know, the, the car's tired, the mm-hmm. tires might be done, the brakes are done. But, um, you know, it's, it's really cool because they run groups. So you basically have, um, uh, what, red, green, and blue groups, you know, depending on your skill level. So you get out there, you're never going to be intimidated or anything like that. And um, they have the telemetry stuff set up, so they'll basically show you exactly what line you took last time, what speed you were, when you turned in, because everybody plateaus. And, you know, if you want to become a better driver than this place, I don't really know that you could do anything better than this. So this is not not just a social club with, you know, folks that have cars that are capable of running on a racetrack. But this is also a way for them to improve their driving skills without obviously doing it on public roads. So, you know, this is the problem with so many of these cars we test. We think these are great performance cars, but what do you do with them? You know, except just brag about them. Yeah. I mean, these guys are the guys that want to drive. And that's why it was very cool to just talk to all these guys and talk about what cars they've had in the past and kind of how they got into racing, maybe how long they've been in the racing mm-hmm. or, you know, what what brought them there. But, uh, you know, some of the guys, they, <laughs> they'll actually, like, go in. And if they don't, you know, eat lunch with all their friends upstairs, then, you know, they might run home for an hour or two. And then they'll go back to the track later and, mm-hmm. and finish up for the day. And, you know, it's completely optional, obviously, if you want to show or not. But uh, I just I just thought the, the entire way that the whole thing was kind of set up, it was, you know, obviously they're, um, they have to go over, make sure their lugs are tight, make sure no fluids are leaking and stuff like so that. So all safety is the overall yeah, thing. It's there, but, I mean, trip. it was fun. It was just a no-pressure atmosphere. It was just a really enjoyable time mm-hmm. to be there. And that's, you know, that's what a bunch of the other guys said, too. It was just, you know, all about having a good time and, and if you want to get a little more competitive, then you can, you know, step up a group. And if not, just go out there and 
I know tracks all over the country do similar types of clubs, but this particular one at Dominion Raceway seemed to be very well set up uh, for low pressure. Come in, have a good time, but learn what you learn what your car is all about. Yeah, you get plenty of time on the racetrack, man. Yeah. I mean, personally, I go racing a handful of times a year, and that's pretty much what I can afford and how much time I have. I mean, the fact that these guys get that much seat time, I mean, that that's a dream of mine, and that's coming from somebody that gets to drive awesome cars all the time, you know, mm. so it's it's crazy. It's I would love to do that. Thanks, Zach. Let's move on now to our lightning round. Two minutes to <clears throat> debate or talk about an automotive topic. Time's up. Joe uh, is going to hit the bell. I wonder what hotel we stole that from. <laughs> Okay, this is very much in the news in our business um, right now. Mazda has just announced that they're actually going to come to market with what's known as a compression ignition gasoline engine. In other words, an engine that operates very much like a diesel engine but actually uses gasoline. Uh, It will use compression rather than a spark plug to ignite the fuel, except in cold weather and when you need a lot of demand. So there's still spark plugs there, but they won't be activated except under certain conditions. The end result of this is a gasoline engine that gives you the fuel economy of a diesel without the nasty diesel exhaust. And a lot of automakers, including Hyundai and everybody else, have been working on this for a long time. Big trucks have been looking at it as a salvation on how to get more fuel economy. Here's little Mazda. They says, we've not only done it, we will have it in production in 2019. The big bugaboo has been the transition between spark and no spark and making it smooth. What do you think, in, in light of everybody's craziness about guts, oh, all electric, what does this tell you? What do you think of this? Any comments? <clears throat> I, start no, the clock, Joe. I started. Sorry. You go first. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it uh, just goes to show that while we are pushing towards electrification, hybrids, full EVs, I mean, we still have to develop the technology we're currently using, internal combustion engines, until we can get to the point where – we are fully on electric uh, electrification. So I think it's great. Um, I am a little skeptical because that seems like a pretty lofty goal, and I'm sure that they have it figured out. But as we've seen with everything else, once you start putting a lot of miles on it, you get a lot of people driving it, that's when all the bugs are going to come out. So mm-hmm. I'm interested for sure in Mazda is generally a, a company I trust for the most part, honestly. Yeah, I mean, it kind of seems like a three-minute mile. Like, you know, have they finally if they've finally cracked this nut – but I think what what's going to happen is it's all about money. Once it becomes cheaper to build electric cars than it does to build this, it'll kill it instantly. I don't. So. Th- I don't know how you could say that. Really, the, the amount of battery power that you're going to have to put into an electric car to go five and six hundred miles, which I think for Americans is what they really expect. Well, true. Yeah. And the cost um, here, they've taken an existing power, you know, existing type of powertrain, and basically, well, at least extended the life of internal combustion engines because diesels, as we know, are falling out of favor in Europe. I, as an engineer, I find it wonderful and something I, I expected really for cool. a long time is. And we've seen it actually with as the fuel economy regulations have ratcheted up. We've seen a lot of smaller, you know, advances. But this is a big advance. We're talking thirty percent better fuel mm-hmm. economy. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited to see it and drive it. But I'm just I worry about the economics of it long term for for Mon- But I think it does prove 
there are companies out there that aren't putting all their chips in on electrification. Mm-hmm. Both Fiat Chrysler and Mazda kind of shows that they they haven't. I guess electricity is not a foregone conclusion yet. Yeah, I mean it's kind of nice to see that they're based in a little bit of reality. The reality is, is we're not ready to go full electric yet. We People haven't even gotten to one percent of the right. market yet. People aren't ready for it. So let's keep making the things that people do trust internal combustion engines better i mean like john said that's a 30 to 40 what was it 20 30, to 20 to 30 yeah. percent increase in fuel economy and that's huge and that's great because that's the ultimate goal is use less fuel and anything that gets us to that point is a good idea if it works yeah when the day comes that you'll be able to pull into a service station in the middle of um, idaho and uh charge up your electric battery and the same time you can gas up a car. Yeah, I think what you're saying is absolutely, you know, a foregone conclusion, but I'm just not convinced that's around the corner. Anywho, that's my opinion. Zach, there's the performance. Uh, I'm with you guys. Guy. I mean, I, especially with what Greg said, really, uh, it's, we're definitely not there yet. I think this is a, a very cool thing. And like you guys said, you know, with Mazda, it's, you know, if they're saying that, then uh, I would truly like to see what's going to be the outcome of this and even how we could improve on it once they do it and how everybody else is going to handle it. Now, admittedly, manufacturers. you know, it's probably got some downside. After all, there's Sky Active G, you know, really uh, uh, very efficient gas engines they make now. They're pretty low on torque when you first come off the line. So I'm sure this is not nirvana, but it's a big deal. Ben, you're shaking your head. I'm, I'm just waiting for the anticipating for the numbers to come out as far as horsepower and yeah. torque go it's interesting to i'm interested in what those would be or how um mm, how, how it's going to match up yeah how, how running on compression versus spark plugs affects those numbers yeah because a diesel Variable? engine always has a lot of <laughs> torque yeah yeah, yeah. but i don't i don't, I don't know if i wouldn't suggest does. that I, I wouldn't think that that would carry over i mean because it's does that mean they're using a glow plug of some kind? Or, or? It means well, they're they all. They shouldn't have to. I've seen various uh, big truck, semi truck engines working on this, and they usually have some form of a spark plug that is used under some conditions. And Mazda said in their release that they do use a spark plug in some cases, mm-hmm. and generally that's under heavy load. And I've also heard it needs to to use that under uh, when it's very cold. Right. Uh, but once it gets up to operating temperature, it's that shuts off. compression. Yeah. That's cool. I'm yeah. also curious what, what that's going to do as far as, you know, revs and what kind of noise it'll make. Well, and yeah, mm-hmm. how noisy is it going to be? Is it, that's, there's a lot of questions here that I have. I'm looking forward to finding them out. And though. there's yeah. one other thing. Diesel makes its power differently. It makes its power in a series of shocks rather than a smooth flow. So now if you – and that's why diesels – have such heavy-duty hardware, heavy-duty transmissions, heavy-duty axles. Does that mean we're now going to have to beef up a lot of the components in the gas car to handle that kind of power flow? And what's that going to do to weight and fuel economy? So a lot of unanswered questions. Very good. Yes, so we went a little over, but we covered a lot of ground on that one. All right, let's move on now to a viewer question. This one's from Carlton. Okay, my son's in college in Colorado Springs. Uh, because of the snowy weather in that area, uh, is an all-wheel drive vehicle better? What would you recommend for under twenty-five grand? Thanks so much. He absolutely loves Motor Week. Thank you, Carlton. Subaru Crosstrek. Want to tell us why? Fully loaded one, I think under twenty-five thousand dollars, and 
a bunch of my friends have them out there. And, and even if you don't want a new and one, there's a lot of used ones. And you'll fit right in in Colorado. Yeah, you'll fit right in. I mean, they're they're absolutely everywhere. But yeah. uh, you know, I've I've driven there numerous times and in numerous uh, friends' cars. And even when they have all season tires on there, which I don't exactly recommend, they make it around just fine. And frankly, you could save some money and buy an Impreza hatchback, which is the basically the same too. vehicle. I, I, I would prefer that. If you're not worried about ground clearance, you'll get way better yeah, handling. Exactly. I mean, we're talking Colorado Springs, and we're talking a lot of snow. So mm-hmm. I think in addition to the all-wheel drive, that's why I would go cross-track over like an just, Impreza wagon just, the just the for, the, for the ground clearance See, alone. I'd recommend save some money and get an older Forester. I mean, if you don't mind buying used, I had a Forester in college that had over 200,000 miles on it, and that thing was great because a little more room than a cross-track. You're hauling your stuff back and forth from your dorm. Uh, yeah, I, I would recommend it. And the roads get messy out there too, so you wouldn't be messing up a new car. Uh, quite True. as much. But granted, they don't really use salt out um, there. So The question kind of says, is an all-wheel drive vehicle better? I mean, I'm assuming that that means better than like a four-wheel drive vehicle that you could take in and out. Or because... a front-wheel drive, I think. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. All right, I'm cool. Yeah, Subaru would be a good point. <laughs> Since I, it's for your kid, they crash really really good, too. I, I actually also went the... Um, looked at the used market and to me you know thinking if i was that age would i want something especially in colorado that looks pretty tough you know there are things out there like used nissan xterras uh two years old for 25 grand which are as a terrific vehicle and it can and it really is an off-road vehicle you're you'll yeah. tackle snow plus the terrain out there um I guess my favorite would be something like a, a used Forerunner, but they're awfully expensive. So, that is but, the downfall. I like CRVs yeah, I too. Those. CRVs, those are CRVs are less those expensive, are and I think they and they do they are goats. Mm-hmm. You're right. They we, are. They will go through almost anything. But so. if you're going to be doing a lot of driving, because there's, you know, if you're staying within the college town, then you know it doesn't really matter so much. But if he's going to be crossing the state a lot and whatnot, I would definitely at that point recommend the four cylinder. Right, Subaru. yeah, yeah. If you're if you're driving back and forth a long distance to college, the little Subaru will get yeah. good mileage. If you're making and airport runs safe. and stuff. Yeah. You you don't really want to do that in a forerunner or something that big. Well, hopefully that helps. <laughs> Thank you, Carlton, for writing us, and thanks for the compliment. And um, hope your son does well in college. All right, rant and raves. Anything uh, anybody want to talk about that has been um, annoying them mm. lately? Oh, boy. I, I got one, but I don't this, know if I'm ready to pull the trigger. Oh, on man. I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for that either, dude. All right, so real Somebody quick. Got one. Okay. <laughs> Alexis uh, LC500. I got in there, man, the shifter. I'm, like, sitting there doing this and doing this. I, I felt like I'd never been in a car before. It this is one of the most spectacular-looking cars we've seen in a long time. We can't stop looking at this freaking car. <laughs> we We're, can't drive it because we can't get it in but gear. But we can't get it in gear either. <laughs> I, I see what you're talking about, but I picked it up pretty quick, though. I don't know, man. I put it in neutral a couple times driving down the road trying to switch it to manual mode. It just went to neutral, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, okay, let me let me get this down. Oh, I mean, e-shifters, the, the well, bane yeah, of our existence. Yeah. <laughs> if you own the car, it's going to be different. And then to a that to that same degree, I mean, um, the Bentley Bentayga, the same exact problem. Not the same shifter, but mm-hmm. also one of those like self-centering shifters that. You never going know forward to go into reverse, wow. that drove Benny crazy. You were oh that was God, you were just yeah. well, you know why? <laughs> because I, there's a button on top of the shifter and. If you've ever driven a car, you know that that you need to push that button down to put it in the park. It's a reverse lockout. So, but in the Bentega, you push that button down, throw the stick all the way forward, 
That's reverse. reverse. <laughs> yeah, at that, that point, made no sense. <laughs> at that like point, I'm ready to get out of the car and leave it, it running. You know? <laughs> yeah. And hell, that thing's moving. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the language. My bad. Uh, but yeah, there's a park button. It's I, cool. You learn it. You're going to know it, but you lend it to your mom. She's going to crash it in the garage. That's <laughs> another thing. The number of cars out there now that, fortunately, most of the newest ones, when you hit the stop button, because there's no keys anymore, if it's not in park, it will go in park. But there's plenty of e-shifter cars out there. If you stop the engine and it's in drive, it's now in neutral, basically, and yeah. got to move. Yeah, and yeah. And that's another e-shifter problem, We, we I ran think. it on and lack e-shifters. Of, of key. We ran it on e-shifters probably five yeah. podcasts ago, but it's still just as true. It's, yeah, I, I get Sometimes change for the sake of change is not good. All right. Well, I'll save my rant for next time then. All so right. Because that, that's, a, that's, a that's a good one. I can't top it. All right, wrapping up our podcast number 165, thanks to Ben Davis, Greg Carlos, Zach Maskell, and Joe Ligo. And thanks also to the unseen people that basically make it all possible, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, and our podcast creator, Bob Mixter. For all of us at MotorWeek, we hope you watch us every week without fail on public television stations around the country and also the Velocity Cable Channel. Our website is MotorWeek.org. You can go there to find out where we can be seen. Like us on Facebook. Hit us on Twitter. Whatever. If you want Motor Week, we're out there. Till next time, I'm John Davis. For all of us, thanks very much for listening and watching Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week, television's original automotive magazine. Motor Week is made possible by TireRack.com, RockAuto.com, State Farm, and WeatherTech. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch Motor Week, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.